listening to White the Truck. Oh yeah, let's get ready to truck it on this Friday edition of What the Truck. I'm Dooner here with the dude, Michael Vincent. A beautiful day here from the heart of uh, Freight Alley, Chattanooga, Tennessee. How are you doing, my brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good because I'm so. We had a great conference, but now we get mm-hmm. to go back into regular What the Truck mode. And boy, do we have an episode. For you today. I mean, just two weeks ago, we were talking to, I mean, what a time to be alive. Two weeks ago, we were talking to Mars, landing the Perseverance rover, right? Yeah. Uh, we were talking to Thomas Healy. He's got a battery for a truck that charges in eight minutes. Yeah, crazy, right? And today, we're talking to the co-founder and CEO of Virgin Hyperloop, who's trying to send cargo and people through a low-pressure tube at 750 miles an hour. Using maglev technology, right? Maglev technology. It's absolutely crazy how quickly things are happening. And, you know, at the risk of sounding like my grandfather, you know, just look back at what has changed over your lifetime and how quickly things are starting to progress. Yeah. And it almost gives you the feeling like go way back and say, are we on the verge of like discovering or this technology that has the magnitude of like discovering that it's a heliocentric solar system or something crazy that's profound going, holy cow, look at this. You know, it just seems that way. Like we're moving towards that really rapidly. Well, our friend Mark Weiss from NASA, I mean, he said it perfectly on Twitter. He was replying to my, uh, my mention that we were talking to Virgin Hyperloop and he goes, trains at the speed of planes, planes at the speed of rockets. The world is shrinking because we are exponentially advancing. The speed of Data and transportation is accelerating fast. What an amazing time to be alive to infinity and beyond. Fantastic nice. stuff. That's With awesome. that in mind, let's tip the band. It's, this episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Yeah. Yes, right on cue. Just about. Right. Almost there. Just almost there. Almost there. (laughs) Workhorse Group, they've lawyered up. So I had a great Freightways Insiders with our Detroit Bureau Chief, Alan Adler, yesterday. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about, um, because I miss having him on radio. On radio, I'd have like a half hour to talk to him about EVs and to get me up to speed in the market. And I love talking when there's a lot of drama in this space. And there is so much drama in the uh, EV space right now, especially with companies like Nikola and Workhorse. Workhorse right now, they lost this big postal contract. So they want this uh, four. $482 $482 million 10-year postal contract to make electric delivery vans. It was basically their business proposal was this contract. They lose out to defense contractor Oshkosh, and uh, now they're upset, and now they're suing. What else is happening here? Yeah, no, they definitely are. So the, the next-generation delivery vehicle business came down to three finalists, right? Yeah. So it was Workhorse offered, the, and they're the ones that offered the only battery electric-powered vehicle, which was consistent with what, what President Joe Biden's executive order was for the 640,000-vehicle yeah. uh, fleet to be zero-emissions EVs. And to just add context, that 35% of that is postal vehicles. Yeah, then 35% of that is postal vehicles. So it is, like you said, it is a large business proposition for Workhorse, and they were the only ones who put in the electrical vehicles. But investors had bid up Workhorse shares to record levels. They expected it to get at least a piece of the multi-billion dollar contract. That didn't happen, and now their shares have lost about 50% in value in the days following it. <laughs> like, what are, <laughs> can you sue over losing a business deal like that? Like, I know you built your company around it, but... Don't build your company on the side of the hill that, that you can fall down during any rainstorm. They had a meeting with the Postal Service on Wednesday, right? And their CEO, Dwayne Hughes, he says, we'll follow the proper due course procedures as defined by the USPS, and we'll look to other options available to us. I mean, it's clear this 
this company's scrambling now. Their shares are sure. at $13.76. They, had, they were at a peak of $42 just a few weeks ago. Now, I, look, if you look at your Robinhood, you look at your market, you look at your TD Ameritrade right now, everybody's stock really sucks right now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. 42 to uh, 13 is an extra level of sucking right now. So. Yeah, you can point directly <laughs> to this situation. Yeah, they're not happy. No, they're not happy. And when, I mean, I, I, I get why they're looking into this type of thing, right? Is something nefarious going on there? I don't, I don't. Hey, you know what? You know who is happy, though? Yeah. Project 44 and Ocean Insights. Project 44 reels in Ocean Insights in largest acquisition in the visibility space. Kim Link Wills. Hold on, before I go too forward to, if you want to catch that FreightWaves Insiders with Alan Adler, we talk all about EVs. Look up FreightWaves Insiders on your favorite podcast player of choice, or look up FreightCast, and you get every single FreightWaves podcast all on one feed. Okay. Big deal. Largest acquisition in visibility space, according to Jet McCandless. Yeah. Project 44, Ocean Insights. Kim Link will, she reports, with poor congestion, particularly in California's San Pedro Bay. Was there 42 ships at anchor just the other day? Yep. Project 44, realizing visibility as important as ever. They made a big splash on Thursday, announcing it acquired Ocean Insights to provide global visibility to all of its customers. Project 44 founder and CEO Jet McCandless, he told FreightWaves, BCOs are getting squeezed at the ports and are screaming for relief. There is just way more freight coming into ports than the ports can handle, creating a record number of vessels waiting to get unloaded. Project 44 and Ocean Insights can provide relief for both freight on the water and at origin. Yeah, absolutely. And McCandless added Ocean Insight had dominated. Ocean Insights has dominated the container tracking space. We look, uh, we look forward to providing the industry not only the best ocean capabilities, but also the most comprehensive end-to-end visibility. Terms of the deal, which closed Thursday, were not disclosed, but McCandless said it is the largest acquisition in visibility space history. We'll have to take his word for it. He also said work to integrate Ocean Insight systems with the Project 44 platform would begin immediately. And as quickly as a few months, customers will be able to access each platform through the other platform, fully integrated, wow. he said, which is like, going to be tremendous. Like CBS All Access becoming Paramount Plus, just yeah. everything coming together these exactly days. Exactly well, like that. Project 44 <laughs> said the acquisition will expand its OSIN solution by adding the broadest container tracking capabilities on the market, as well as one-of-a-kind sailing schedule and ocean analytics products, combining Ocean Insights tracking and analytics with the Project 44 platform and ecosystem establishing Project 44 is the clear market leader, and this is according to them, the clear market leader with an unrivaled set of multimodal solutions for end-to-end supply chain visibility. Speaking of rail and multimodal, in Sonar, bunch of new indices covering rail. So check those out. Those dropped this weekend. I don't know if you heard about those. Yeah. Those are dropping this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, this deal came together pretty quickly. McCandless, he told Freightways that this deal has been in the works for several months. So not years, yeah. several months, put it together, and then in a couple of months, it'll be fully integrated. So those of you who use Project 44 or Ocean Insights will start being in the same ecosystem. Yeah. That's actually pretty quick. It is pretty quick. Several months to yeah, put a deal space, like this together, quick. and then, you know, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty quick. But it is going to be tremendous, because it's one of the biggest things with Ocean. With so many different players, that insight is sorely needed, the visibility. Here's some good news. You want a job in trucking? Now is the time to start looking at least at ODFL, right? Trucking boom prompts ODFL to add 1,200 drivers and dock workers, and they're paying some good money here. Todd Main reports that citing a strong economic recovery with robust freight demand, less than truckload carrier Old Dominion Freight Line announced Thursday plans to add 800 drivers and more than 400 dock workers and clerical personnel. The Thomasville, North Carolina-based company said it was looking to add Class A CDL drivers over the next three months to meet growing demand. Um, they're going to pay them pretty well, too, right? 
They are. The average pay for the new line haul drivers will be $99,000, with pickup and delivery drivers earning $73,000 annually. The full-time non-union position also offer health insurance, 401k, and paid vacation. Old Dominion will pay a $5,000 signing bonus for qualified drivers in certain locations. That's good for line haul, too. That's sweet. Yeah, you're so home you're every day. You're just going back. you got a set thing moving yeah. uh, between those terminals. So you're out and back every night. Sweet. Well, let's that's ask Chase deal. if that, that raises his interest when we talk to him in just a minute because he, he pulls logs. But, hey, maybe some line haul would be nice for ODFL. Marty, either way, Marty Freeman, EVP and COO at Old Dominion. He said, our OD people are the heart of our operations and we are looking forward to add to our workforce in response to this growing demand for our premium service. There's never been a better time to consider a career in transportation. These career opportunities offer a great work-life balance and competitive compensation package as well as on-the-job training and career advancement. So something to strongly consider if you're if you're looking for something now. And now might be a good time because we mentioned that market, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of freight market being yeah. driven by consumer and retail yeah. demand. Yeah. A lot of retail people are retail traders in the stock market. A True. lot of us are looking at our, our portfolio shrink. And when you're seeing that, you get a little bearish about going over to Target and, you know, buying the, the fine china. Yes, that's why you buy your fine china. <laughs> at Target. Yeah, fine Target. china. At Target. Yeah. At Target. Or, your, or your fine leather sofa. Yeah. At Target. Well, we're going to speak to a trucker next. <laughs> it, it is Chase Barber. He is a TikTok sensation, TikTok superstar. Let's take a look at one of his talks first, and then we will talk to him. Well, I've been noticing I've been getting a lot more followers lately, and some of these followers even go include the local DOT CVSC officers that I see every day. And on an unrelated note to that, I wanted to answer a few questions some people had about my truck. Like, hey, Chase, have you ever ran overweight? No, I've never once ran overweight. I always even leave a little bit extra room just to be safe. Have I ever lied on a logbook? No. That's a legal government form, and I treat it with absolute respect. Actually, I've been saying for years that we should have e-logs. It wouldn't change how I drive at all. Do I ever speed? No. I may have a 600 Cummins, but 90 kilometers an hour is more than fast enough for me. Do I pre-trip my truck? Every single day. In fact, if I was ever late to the loader, it's not because I slept in. It's because I was busy pre-tripping this to make sure it was safe for the road. Seatbelt? I wear this all the time. If you didn't see it, it's probably because just my shirt was tucked over it or something like this. I love it, man. I love the little flag on the logs, too. Uh, you you do awesome. a great job, Chase, of sort of lampooning some of, of what's going on in trucking. I know you are in, uh, well, sunny but snowy Canada right now. How's, how are you doing? Oh, good. It's warming up here, which probably actually isn't good for mudding. <laughs> for logging, we're going to get to mud real soon. But other than that, it's going fantastic. Yeah, I love the Thanks truck behind me. you, too. What are you, what are you rolling in over there? Uh, long nose Peterbilt for logging. Beautiful man. That's, that's a man's. Beautiful. That's a man's man's uh, is that truck. The, is that the choice of loggers? The the long nose Peterbilt. Long nose Peterbilt. Long nose Kenworth. That's kind of the way to do it. A lot of Western stars. They're tough trucks. You want a tough truck for this job because it absolutely will destroy them really quick. Plus, why don't you want to do a drive a nice truck? You spend like 15 hours a day sitting in them. You might as well sit in something nice. Yeah, that's absolutely. my argument on like beds yeah. and like a good TV. If you, you know, if you, if you're not on the road all the time, if you know, you might want a big TV and you know, I spend hours watching it, get a, get a good one, treat yourself. <laughs> you know, speaking of TV, we we're talking about, there's a movie, right? Final Destination 2. And whenever I see a logging truck on the road, and I'm sure this is an exclusive to me, you, I, you, there's like this paranoia that logs are going to start flying off and going through your windshield and, and killing you. Um, how, what kind of impact does Final Destination 2 had for loggers? 
Oh, you know what? It actually makes cars kind of stay away. I think Final Destination has probably had the biggest impact on safety for the for our industry. Nobody wants to follow behind you. No one will tailgate you. And when they pass you, you, oh, you hear so many truckers like, oh, I hate cars hanging out in the blind spot. Nobody hangs out in the blind spot of a logging truck. <laughs> yeah, that's something you certainly do not want to do. No. You do not want to do. Hey, so Chase, have you ever, you, you think, you know, doing these TikToks and the last talk, I guess you call it a talk, right? Is that I what guess. you call it? A talk? Or your, your video that we show, <laughs> we, that we just, that we just showed, right? You're kind of lampooning these different things. Does that, you think that, uh, uh, that that actually does open you up to having a little more scrutiny if they recognize you, those uh, DOT officers? Oh, no, no. I ran a 1960s Kenworth for like four or five years. They know who I am and they know how I take care of my equipment. There you go. As long as you have nice equipment. They recognize you. You see the same guys every day. They know who's legit and who's not. I've, I've been five years. I've never had a single ticket at any of these scales yet. Knock on wood eventually here. Now, Chase, how did you end up, how did you start, you know, why did you decide to go on a platform like TikTok and start doing these TikToks with just out of boredom on the road? Is it self-promotion? What? Because it's a very successful account that you're running right now. Yeah, I don't know how that got so successful. I make really dumb videos. I was just sitting at the loader board and like you got a two, two, three trucks in lineup. You got to sit there for an hour waiting to get loaded. So TikTok was fun. So I just started making videos, showing what I was doing. I think it's just, I love my job. I absolutely love what I do, and I just wanted more people to see it. So that's kind of what I was trying to share. So you're sitting there bored. What made you think TikTok instead of doing videos on LinkedIn or some uh, some other medium? Yeah, like truckers are going to use LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> I love that hey, answer. Text me. We'll hook up. Yeah, you know, he was asking, he was like, I was looking up, Ch- I was trying to find Chase on LinkedIn. I was I like, was. well, that's your problem. He's on TikTok. I told you he's a TikToker. There's truckers on LinkedIn. We talk to him all if the time. If you started TikToking on LinkedIn, people would start clutching their pearls and being like, this is a business site. Stop having fun. Right? He's not going to do <laughs> that's that. That's why we need you on squares. That's why we need him on LinkedIn, because people are too Loosen people up a little bit. Loosen yeah. up, man. Unbutton Relax. the tie, Point Dexter. <laughs> and welcome in the loggers. Let them in on hey, LinkedIn. Let's talk about man. logging. Let's talk about logging a little bit. How do you, first of all, how do you get into hauling lumber? What made you gravitate towards that? Was it just happenstance that you started pulling logs? And, and what should people know about it? Oh, uh, well, I went to university and it was a damn good summer job. Beat working at McDonald's or anything. So logs seemed, you know, they're great. You're home every night, weekends off, make over a hundred grand a year. Logging is actually where it's at. Plus I hated traffic. I just got annoyed at running into traffic. So you run down a dirt road all day. You don't have to deal with cars. That's a good point. So what are, what's the downfalls of, of running this? I mean, what are those specific skill sets that you have to have to do this? You can't be a trucker riding down the highways of Atlanta, Georgia, and, and then just say, well, I'm going to go ride off road in, in the dirt roads and do, do logging, right? I mean, you could. It just wouldn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone starts somewhere. We got one guy that just started with this company. He's only been driving truck a week. Like, it's his first week, two weeks, and he is just killing it, doing an awesome job. Like, it doesn't take too much. All you got to be willing to do is you throw tire chains, you go slow, take your time, and pound out down a rough road. It's just, it's a different set of skills, but anyone can really learn it. I shouldn't say that. It's a hard job. No one wants to do it. You're throwing tire chains. It's muddy. Don't come logging, people. Just don't come logging. Don't worry about it. Well, it's fine. It's fine. You're like like the guy pretending to be a ghost in the haunted house in Scooby-Doo right now. Like, take the mask off, Mr. Withers. You know it's a great job doing logging. You yeah, really love that's it. that's right. Trying to drive the tourists away. <laughs> <laughs> so 
into it and then more people get into it then the rates go down that's i probably shouldn't say anything yeah no it's it, so but you're up in canada so you must and you're you know you're going to sort of back roads areas where we'd find logs so you have are you doing some like ice road trucking out there is there a lot of danger in pulling logs Do you have to be more mindful in this position oh yeah there's like we're coming down some grades they're 26 30 percent grades in pure ice so you're throwing two sets of chains throwing chains on the steer tire chains on the trailer and it's honestly, it's funny because you watch some TikToks and a lot of American truckers that are running in like Texas when they had their big snowstorm, they're like, pull over. There's two inches of snow on the road. Don't use your Jake and ice and snow. Meanwhile, we're coming down the side of a mountain, 26% grade with 150,000 pounds of hogs. You're like, guys, you can do it. <laughs> trying to avoid the moose and stuff like that and and <laughs> all that kind of thing so chase you strike me as a kind of guy who might uh you know play a few tricks on some of the newbies out there have you ever done that type of stuff when you're mentoring somebody kind of give them some advice there it's a little bit fun to watch them try and take not on the newbies i don't play too many tricks on the newbies they're learning they got enough but i love screwing with the people that have been doing it a while that take the job way too seriously mm. oh last little while ago a guy was getting mad because i parked my truck in his spot so I made sure the next day I went and got a bunch of caution tape and some orange cones. And we coned that whole parking spot off. So you got there in the morning, you had to move all the traffic cones. I even wrote on it, Harley's spot. <laughs> I like it, man. I That's like it. Awesome. It's vindictive. But at the same time, you still saved him the spot. So how much yeah. can he complain? You know, That's a, I'm a favor. That spot was there for him. He didn't have to worry about anyone else parking in it. I'm a nice now, guy. Let me ask you, for people out there, truckers who are listening, uh, brokers who are listening, regular people who are listening, they want to start getting into TikTok. Maybe they're into TikTok. They can't grow an audience. What would you tell them? Oh, honestly, just have fun with what you're doing. If you're posting and you're doing what you love, you're posting about that, people are going to catch that energy. Like, there's a couple guys on there. Like, one guy, he inspects houses, and I thought that would be boring, but he loves <laughs> what he does, and it shows, and I enjoy watching the videos. Man, we just had a home inspection. I got to tell you, home inspections are actually way more fascinating than you think, especially when you have a good inspector. Like, they really know their, their S. Is that right? Yeah, they do. Hey, Chase, oh. we're going to have you spin the wheel of stupid questions now. Oh, you ready for beautiful. it? Beautiful. Oh, yeah. All right, let's see what you get. Round and round it goes, where it lands, nobody knows. That was a good spin, too. It just keeps going. I'm getting dizzy now. Slow down. I greased it this morning. Here we go. What do we got? All right. Oh, this is a good one for him. I, like, you don't even need a gimmick. We haven't asked this question since we asked Nico Brown from Skybits. What would your gimmick be if you were a pro wrestler? My gimmick be if I was a pro wrestler? Yeah. I have no idea. That is an awful question. I, what would I, I haven't even watched pro wrestling. Huh. Huh. Oh, well, man, that's... I mean, you could just be like a logger, right? Like that, you're like the logger who is now a wrestler. Yeah, like the logger... The, uh, what would you, the grapple? I don't know. I don't know what that one's going to be. I'm not going to wrestle anybody. That's probably it. Canadian. Huh. Like, I'm not going to fight anyone. What, Bret Hart <laughs> he could just be the Canadian. He could just come over and say, listen, I'm really Stampede sorry if I upset you in any way. huge in Canada. I thought, like, all Canadians are kind of like snow rednecks, right? Like, like Southerners, <laughs> you can count on them maybe knowing a little bit about wrestling. I talked to Kevin Hill from Oklahoma. He knows who the Freebirds are. Yeah. Like, I talked to a Canadian. I would assume you'd at least know the Hart families. I thought they were like the royal family up in Canada. Oh, no, I, I'm afraid I don't. Like, as far as I know, a wrestling move. Like, I'm not fighting anyone. Like, let's just sit down and have a coffee. Yeah, that's see, that's, okay. that would be his gimmick. He'd be the Canadian. He'd come and say, listen, I apologize if I've offended you in any way. Let's have a beer, eh? And it'd hey, be his thing. All right, have, you haven't been attacked by a raccoon yet. We were just reading a story. And we're going to get to it a little later in the show. But raccoon attacks are way up in Canada. I heard about that. Yeah. No, it's wintertime still here. So they're kind of screwing off right now. All right, Chase. It's well, hey, cool we'll let... 
Chase, we'll let you get back to work, but how do people um, connect with you? How do they follow you on TikTok and experience your great videos? Oh, I'm just on TikTok under Chase Barber. So Beautiful. they can look me up there, I guess, and follow along if they like what I'm posting. Oh, hey, and you got that guy on with the Tesla. Tell him I'll trade him a ride, or uh, not the Tesla, the Hyperloop. The other yeah. Elon Musk thing. Tell him I'll trade him a ride for in my logging truck for a ride on that Virgin Hyperloop. See if he's oh. down for it. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll pass it on. We'll pass it on to him. Thanks <laughs> again, man. Drive safe out there. Take care. Take it easy. <laughs> Wow, good He's stuff. Awesome. Like Life of logging seems fun too. He seems to really enjoy it. But do, do you think he got to be a little solitary? Like he kind of liked because you're going out in the wilderness. Yeah, oh, you're going yeah, out yeah. In the you got to be a little bit off kilter. Yeah, I think. going off the beaten path. Yeah, a yeah, bit. a little bit. And I, I just had a feeling he was messing with people. Yeah, he's got that. He's got he, that he look does. to him. Yeah, <laughs> he, he sure does well. Hey, our next guest is Gregory Patrick. He's the owner of Dispatch Seventy Seven, and he's going to share his comeback story and comeback journey with us. Hey, Greg, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, well, thank you so much for. We got yeah, you. Can you, you guys hear me? We got yeah, you. We got okay. You. Thank you, <laughs> Tim and um, Michael. I, I I have to say, you know, I've been watching you guys for over a year now, and I'm a big fan, and I really enjoy what are you guys doing. Awesome, awesome work. I, I'm sure many people would agree with me. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really really nice to to be on the show. And uh, you know what, Chase is uh, kind of like the 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 drivers I'm looking for, <laughs> to be honest with you, because I I specialize in the flatbed industry and um that's that's kind of like relationship that you know i i can see that he is building with the with the brokers and possibly with the dispatch people just kind of enjoy what you do and then go with the flow i mean that's that's the uh, i guess that's the key in anything you do right yeah well, what do you think what before we sort of get into you and your journey what do you think of drivers who are kind of taking some agency over their personality and their identity by you know going on to TikTok TikTok or other platforms and and growing a following you know i'm kind of like the same I'm trying to like develop my own like gig, if you will. Uh, and I think, you know, there, there's many people that say like, well, you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. But the truth of the matter is you have to be like yourself, you know, just let it go. Just like Chase, like he's just being, you know, being himself. And like, you could feel that positive energy going out and like, man, you know what? I tell you what it's like, <laughs> because it's very true. Like you can't find, uh, you know, LinkedIn is not a place to find like, you know, the drivers and then tiktok is and you know i i'll be opening account probably today latest tomorrow just to <laughs> kind of get in touch with the drivers you know wow. uh, but yeah yeah definitely yeah so i mean we're going to get into this in a minute but i mean what you're doing there at dispatch 77 it, is it, it this is something that you would would you gravitate toward that do you suggest this for these drivers to build this kind of personal brand through this type of stuff would that help you in in doing the, uh, your business with these drivers and being their dispatch Oh yeah, I think so. I, I definitely agree. Uh, and then you know because so many times, like because yeah, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I mean, I've been in the in, industry for you know over a decade, and um, I, and I, I say you know I don't care if you have a new MC or you've been driving for a long time, um, as long as you I can get along with you, I'm sure we can do business. And then many times with brokers, you know, it's a supply demand. And but many times like the brokers will have the rules like oh we you don't take new MCs like you have to be on the road for at least three six months but if there is a need and they like you they say like well let me talk to the manager let me talk to the shipper and all of a sudden you know you can uh, go ahead and book a shipment for uh, for the driver you know it's and but it's it's again you're building also the relationship you know 
Yeah. Well, hey, Greg, tell us a little bit about this journey then. Tell us this, this career journey and how you ended up becoming the owner of the company that you own right now. Um, well, uh, I, I've been trying to like kind of squeeze this because I know we were short on time, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I started, you know, I'm Polish, Polish American oh, uh, immigrant and then I <laughs> wow. Uh, yes. And, and, you know, I started working since I was in high school. So I started working since um, I was 16. I'm 41 now. So, you know, it's been a while, but uh, I started, uh, you know, um, in, a, in, a, in my senior year in high school, I started uh, um, uh, in my journey in the logistics was uh, in UPS. I in the evenings I worked and sorted uh, packages, you know, and that's when I got hooked to logistics. Like see all those co converter belts and like everything, how it works, and it's just pretty amazing. So after high school, I um, got a job as a uh, inventory associate, and I got promoted within the company, you know, a few times, um, then to order processing uh, department, and then like to to management, and then like. For, at one point I realized like I hit that glass ceiling and it's a, and I kind of decided I took a step back from the logistics and decided to go to school. So I got my associate's degree from um, Columbus State Community College. Uh, then after that, I uh, transferred to university and I would say OH. I oh there brother, go. there you go. <laughs> yeah, although I did not transfer. Yeah, there you go. I did not transfer to uh, to Ohio State, but I uh, did transfer to Franklin U University. Um, and then, I, of course, I worked throughout uh, my my school. Uh, after I graduated from uh, from university, I basically moved uh, to a, a bigger biggest or one of the biggest. Uh, major hubs in the, in the U.S., um, logistics hubs in, to Chicago. So, so from Columbus, I moved to, to Chicago and then uh, got, got a job as a, as a freight forwarder for one of the N NVO CCs um, in the FCL export department. So I moved some containers for three years. And, you know, like that still wasn't an it. So I went back to school, a driving school, and I got my CDL. Mm. And, uh, you know, I drove a truck for, well, I tell you, I drove the truck for less than a year, and I salute to all the drivers out there because I know it's not an easy job. I've tried, and I thought it would be like the greatest thing. And you know what? It was. But then again, it's like, uh, okay, you know, uh, maybe I should kind of scale down. And so I did, and I, no, I let me, stayed let me in the you, like, One thing here. So yeah. I, I saw this comment on LinkedIn yesterday. This guy commented on a post about driver pay. And yeah. I found it yeah. kind of offensive. He's like, hey, look, you can make $60,000 for only taking a six-week course. And I'm like, there's a lot more to trucking than a six-week yeah. course. And yeah. it's the endurance and being away from family and understanding that lifestyle and being a part of that lifestyle. And Gregory, as you realize, mm -hmm. it's kind of easy to wash out of it, right? Because the lifestyle is not for everybody. Exactly. And I mean, there is a lot, a lot to it. And depending what you want to do, you know, in that trucking industry, because, you know, hauling logs, you know, doing a flatbed, it's a lot different than driving a, a dry van, you know, no touch freight and it's, it's easy. But then again, yeah, it's like you want to go over the road and you're gone for weeks at a time or you want to be home. I mean, yeah, you, you have options to choose from. But then again, you know, it's still not easy job and it's not for everyone, you know. No, it uh, certainly I, isn't. I agree. Certainly and isn't, Gregory. Would, and you've, you've had a lot of experience back uh, from being on the docks and UPS and sorting and then driving the actual truck and being in dispatch for trucks. Is that what drove you to that? Have you taken some of those negative experiences into what you're doing now at Dispatch 77 to try and make it better for those drivers? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I'm all about transparency. I'm all about, you know, saying like, you know, telling people like this is what it is, good or bad. I'm telling you, you know, you may not like me or like if I will lose a broker because he was upset because, for for instance, driver overslept. But look on, on the overall, like, right, look how many good loads we did for you, you know. <laughs> But we go again to to what it is. It's like here and now it's like, oh, we're, you know, Customer is upset, you know, and and they, I'm and I say this to to the brokers or even to to the drivers. Like, listen, like if you can find somebody better, um, go go right ahead. You know, I I don't mind. I'm not going. That's why I don't have like I don't have any contracts like to sign to to say like okay, we're locked in for you know you want to leave, but you need, I need to at least three months notice. No, it's like you know, listen, like if you're not happy, I don't want you to uh, be unhappy. Then go somewhere where you think you'll be happy. But mm -hmm. before you. Go, Go tell me what happened, you know, because well, it's I, about communication. Well, and it's all these insights that you've had. So you've had this career journey where you, you know, you've been, you, you can understand the journey that people go in, in supply chain because you've been to school a few times. You've tried a bunch of different things. So you know, the life experience that the, the experience that people have that you, that would be working from you, which I imagine makes you a much more empathetic leader over at dispatch 77. Um, Unfortunately, we're kind of running out of time. We got to go talk about some yeah. Hyperloop. But where do people go if they want to connect with you and learn some more information? Yeah, uh, I, you can reach me on uh, LinkedIn, of course, or uh, you can visit my website, uh, dispatch77.com, and uh, there, there are links and you know phone numbers and you know contact to me. So feel free to reach out, and I'll be more than happy to help or talk to you. Thank you so much, Greg. Excellent, fly, Greg. Polish eagle, fly. My, my mom's Polish. So. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Love you, mom. Take, <laughs> take care. Thank you for having me. Take it easy. Well, again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. All right. You think we should talk some Hyperloop now? I've been oh, yeah, I've been all show. I yeah. want to get to it. All yeah, right, let's yeah, welcome yeah, yeah. Josh Geigel on the show. He's the chief executive officer and co-founder of this exciting new way to move people, move cargo, and I don't know, move the American spirit. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait till I can commute on one. Hey, man, how's it going? Great. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Dude, so th this we've been talking to some really cool guests recently. We talked to NASA about dropping the Perseverance rover, and I think the Hyperloop is another one. It's just it's absolutely fascinating, right? Uh, right now, when I'm looking, it looks like this sort of above ground subway, and you can th you could like darts. You're throwing people through it at 750 miles an hour, and yeah. I think you were the first person to ever ride in one, aren't you? I was the uh, first one in history of the world, but definitely not the last. Wow, that's sweet. How fast did you go, Josh? I went, uh, this one was a slower test, so I went about 106 miles an hour, but uh, accelerated basically zero to 60 in, I think, about four seconds. So oh, wow. a little bit of <laughs> That Tesla speed, that Tesla. So what was the experience like? Was this a fully, like, um, accoutremented capsule that you were in? It was close. So we really, it was a prototype that we built in our test facility in Las Vegas about a couple of years ago. And then over the last two years, we've been deciding to make it safe. So making sure that all the things that could go wrong, we mitigated those and we got in as a two person capsule. And the idea was to show that we could be safe in this low pressure environment inside the tube. So we, we designed all the safety systems, designed the pod, it had seats, it had every, everything but a bathroom. So. 
Wow. I mean, and what's old is new. I mean, I, so you, you mentioned the Tesla DNA and the SpaceX yeah. DNA, and I know that you personally have some of that yourself, and I think you might be responsible for the development of the first reusable rockets that we're using now. Yeah. Am I not mistaken? Yeah, after, after grad school, uh, you know, got one of those opportunities where you get way too much responsibility at a very young age. And so it was to, to go in and to design rocket engines that would become the first ones that actually landed the spacecrafts that you see now that SpaceX is doing. And so that, you know, about 12 years ago was really the, the starting point of learning how to be not just a, uh, someone who designs cool stuff, but a really good engineer. So what did you think when you saw SN10 land successfully just the other day? Was that, was that a really awesome sight to see? It was good. It was, uh, you know, it's kind of like this idea, this this gem of an idea that, hey, when I first met Elon interviewed, it was like, hey, we want to make rocket engines work for, you know, hundreds of times. And that was just a kind of an unheard concept. And so learning how to do that, learning how to be able to create those things actually was really beneficial for the way that we put a person in the pod, which was like six years ago, I quit my job and was sitting in a garage and envisioning what it would take to actually put somebody in a new mode of transportation and then we went about doing that. So it was good to like learn how to do that at a young age so that when I'm doing that here at Hyperloop, I know how to do it. That's awesome. So uh, listen, Josh, so uh, Duner was doing some research there uh, earlier, and he, yeah. he informed me that the, the concept was originally conceived in 1904 by Richard Goddard. Is, Robert Goddard. Uh, Robert Goddard. <laughs> yeah, Sorry about that. Father of the Space Age. Yeah, Father of the Space Age, as, as Duner pointed out to me earlier, which is amazing to me, and that brought into action really by Elon Musk. Aside from owning all those guitars in the back and obviously being a musician, how did you get involved? What made you go into uh, co-founding this company? So it was actually really interesting. My my wife's dad is a uh, long haul trucker. Oh and wow! So my wife, my mom, my dad, my everybody in my side of the family is our engineers. And so actually hearing some of the stories that he would tell about being away for um, you know weeks on end doing this this long haul piece and seeing that he got to miss portions of her growing up, we saw the opportunity to say like, hey, if we're if we can take maybe some of that um, and, and allow him to do local shipping, local things, he could be. He could be seeing her, could have seen her grow up. Now that we have a kid, he could see his grand grand grandson grow up and a little bit more often. And you know, he's been hurt a couple times, you know, because he hauls steel and like, you know, loading it and everything. And I'm um, just seeing some of the opportunities with cargo, but also seeing for people. So when you look at transportation in general, you see like, oh wow, what if we're able to go the speed of an aircraft uh, for fully electric? And being able to do that, I'll say, at a national scale. So you're able to move people. You don't have to wait when you go to an airport. You don't have to, I'll say, uh, do all the, lo- the, the logistics and, and, and headache of getting to an airport, waiting, buying a ticket. You just show up. You go when you want to go. And the idea was like, hey, this, I, this concept of new transportation is there, but how do you actually embody it, right? So you, you said Goddard had it in 1904. There was even like crazier steam tubes in the 1800s. And so we have a new new way of doing this with electronics technology, computer technology for us to incorporate into our pods and make them modular and upgradable. And the thing that I really like is we've made the road very simple so that the vehicles on it are very smart. So a vehicle that we build today could still drive in the tube 100 years from now in the same way that a Model 3 can drive on the road as a Model T. The the kind of ubiquitous nature of the road is, is giving us a lot of flexibility to do that. And, you know, as an engineer, no one has ever... Uh, build a hyperloop before so the challenge of doing something completely novel and new is like just sign me up i'll do it all day 
Well, since this didn't, I was going to ask you this, since this didn't exist before you started working on it, what was like your dream job when you were 15? Do you think you'd have like either like this superhero or supervillain type job where you're like the mad scientist <laughs> technologist trying to shoot people through tubes? Yeah, it's a little bit of a pet cat type of deal. No, um, I think uh, it was always to be kind of an astronaut. And my mom, my dad are both engineers as well. So we did all these like really dorky things growing up, going to museums and seeing things, learning how to be an engineer from my dad, working on cars in the garage. And I always felt this, this awe of anything that would break on a car, he would be able to fix. And I used to think like, boy, he must be the smartest person on the planet. And then when he started talking to him when I was like 10 or 11, he goes, no, I'm an engineer. And so an engineer is know how to solve problems. So I don't know how to fix it, but I learned how to fix it by diagnosing the problem. And to me, that was like such a powerful idea that you could enter something not knowing how to do it, but you could walk out having solved the problem. And it's just like, it just kind of set hold, set root, almost like inception style in my brain that like, oh, we can basically be, you know, predictors of the future and then we can go build it. And that's the other thing is that, you know, I was kind of going to do my PhD. And then when I started interviewing at like SpaceX and places like that, it ended up being like, no, I'm a builder. I'm not a pontificator. I'm a builder. That's so NASA, too. I mean, like, yeah. you, I mean, Hollywood popularized it in The Martian with Matt Damon. But in that movie, like, they really get across that impression that, like, we're always doing things we don't know how to do. We'll do the math and we'll figure it out, you know? And yeah. I, I love yeah. that concept. I love what you just said there because it's something that I think more people should embrace, not just engineers, but that engineer mentality when starting anything in any line of business because none of us really know what we're doing until we start doing it. Then you figure out the role and you try and grow and scale within it. I think that's a great message. Yeah. And, and I think like the other point is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, cyclist as well. And like, if you fall down off the bike, you have to just keep getting back on it. Right. And so when you get knocked down, when you start to have things that don't work the first time, or you're like, boy, I thought this was a good idea. I can't tell you the number of times I said that. And then you just kind of get back on, you find a new way to do it. And that, that journey of discovery, the, the curiosity that's there is like, that's what keeps me coming back every single morning. Yeah. And from that movie, The Martian, you know, when you were talking about that, I love yeah. that line where he says, well, I'm just going to have to science the S out of this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is what he says. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure you've done that a number, a number of times um, for for those of us uh, in the audience as well who don't understand exactly how this works. Can you mm-hmm. kind of in layman's terms explain exactly how this Hyperloop works? What is that technology? Yeah. And you, you talked about how this car can work 100 years from now. Can you talk about that simplicity and, and the beauty of this? Yeah, so we've got a well, basically a tube-based transportation system. So you have a tube. Uh, in this case, it'd be a concrete tube. It's about it's about 18 feet in diameter or so. And in that tube, uh, it basically we take most of the air out, not all of the air. So it'd be like flying at about 200,000 feet of altitude. So to give you a feel, even though we're going the speed of an aircraft, there still might be the same amount of dra- uh, drag that you'd experience in a semi going at about 60 miles an hour. And so that gives you like the, the energy efficiency of this. It's a fully electric system. Um, and then inside, we've developed over the last couple of years, our own version of magnetic levitation and electromagnetic propulsion. So basically electric machines that, that push it. And, you know, maglevs had this bad connotation for quite some time, but I'll say this isn't your grandfather's maglev. This is some new stuff. It's, uh, it's as efficient as kind of steel wheel on steel rail, and it gives a, a high capacity type of system. So, the of a two lane tube. So when you build one of these, um, you would have a, a, a tube going one direction and tube going the other direction. And that is the same capacity as a 30 lane highway. 
that's the, the the amount of things that we can put on it at the speed that we're going. So when you start to think about the the capacity of like national networks built on this framework, it's actually pretty pretty tremendous. And so yeah, going the speed of an aircraft um, and getting that, that all all working, I think is is really where the excitement lies. Wow. So in most of these videos, we're playing this this B-roll video here for the audio listeners. I'm looking at it and we're seeing people move in it. And that seems like the first sort of use case for the Hyperloop. But you did mention that freight background. Is this something we'd be putting cargo in and how would that all work? Yeah, so it, there's definitely the cargo opportunity. So we're not looking to move like big, heavy bulk items like like steel and ore. We're thinking more like air cargo, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think of that, that high high value in terms of the the goods that are inside but also the the speed at which you're trying to do that that's really where it's at so we're looking more about palletized cargo so a single pod can hold about three to four tons worth of kind of palletized cargo and that's really the market that we're going after is that there's always going to be a need to ship you know big things bulky things kind of in in conventional ways but we're looking at intermixing uh, passenger and cargo systems so like a 737 you just would strip the interior out and put kind of rollers on the floor. That would be the same type of setup that you would do for cargo here. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Like we, we looked at a, a place down in Laredo, Texas. So Laredo is like the third largest port in the U S right. Kind of an mm-hmm. inland port. Right. And talking with a number of the people in Laredo, there's like a 20 mile stretch, like 10 miles into Mexico and 10 miles into the U S and it will take like truckers, I think four or five hours oh, it's terrible. to go yeah. through that, go through customs to go from basically logistics facility to, to one end to the other. And in a day they might get 40 miles. And that's a, that's a rough living when you're just sitting kind of in that traffic over and over again. And so what if you're able to automate that process um, and then you can connect it to the, the, the last mile. So all of that wasted time that the, that people are experiencing, you're getting them higher utilization because they're just going and picking up their load and they're not sitting in these kind of custom places each and every time. Um, so those are the type of use cases that we see. One of our largest investors is actually a port owner. And so how they take goods, how they can move in different spots in the logistic and the supply chain, and how they can move goods to inland facilities to then go out to the last mile solutions and the like is something that uh, we're looking at as well, which I think is a really, really unique and interesting opportunity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like Chase, who was on earlier, Chase the trucker, you're not going to steal his logging job, right? No. We're not going to throw a bunch of logs in those. <laughs> but you might put something like Moderna vaccines or something mission critical that really needs to get someplace really sort of fast and avoid that, that congestion. Exactly, exactly. Well, it, yeah, and it so begs they, a, I think it's incredibly interesting because it begs the question when you, when you start looking at this, do the hyperloops, are you looking at this like it connects these two cities and then the final mile moves to, to, to truck for in those cities? And if so, does that not beg that these modules can be converted right onto a chassis? Yeah, I and, think you're, uh, you're, you're, you're seeing exactly where we're going. So the, the idea would be that the more cities that you can connect, and I kind of view this as the way like the transcontinental railroad was built in the 1800s, right? Like those cities that got put onto a larger national network now have like instant access to basically everywhere else. And it's sort of the analogy I'd give you is like a single telephone's no good. But if two people have a telephone, you can do something. But if 50 people have a telephone, then you can start having this massive kind of network effect. And so what you'd be able to do is, I'll say, the majority of time that we can get goods to a particular facility soon, um, then you're starting to basically just allow those last mile distribution facilities to go. And so you can either pull out um, the whole vehicle itself and then swap that, you know, 
essentially like the cargo container, whatever you want to call it, onto mm-hmm. the vehicle, or there's a pretty de- high degree of automation. So the thing that could be interesting is you could have like a queuing facility, let's say, you know, a bit further out, maybe 100 miles out from the city of Los Angeles. And then you could basically have these small vehicles that are kind of pre-allocated. Maybe you've got uh, you've got vaccines in one spot, you've got apples in another, and you've got bananas in a different spot. And they can come and they can basically customize kind of your order. And then that comes straight to the spot, gets automated, loaded onto a truck, and then that last mile can be distributed to wherever you're looking at. And, and geographically located in the same city. So the, the driver's not going to every different, all around the city, he's going to one area, unloading everything, coming back and getting the next load and going forward. So you can you can automate the way that you load the trucks from a distance in a way that you never really thought possible before. It looks beautiful. It does look expensive. Infrastructure money can be tough to come by. It's always a battle, especially up on Capitol Hill. So what are some of the economics behind this entire project? And, and what do you guys really need to, to get this moving? Because you said it's probably what, within the next decade, people, you, your intention is to have people start yeah. riding these, right? Yeah. So we, uh, this is what I'm calling the decade of Hyperloop. So it started off with two people riding on it, myself and a colleague of mine, Sarah. It's going to end with hundreds of millions of people. But the real, the real process here is that we have, we have to build the tubes themselves. And the, the advantages of our system are actually pretty high. So we can take tighter turns. We can follow highway right-of-ways. We can go along like the median. Like there's a you know, great example in, Kansas, in, in Missouri that goes from Kansas City to St. Louis. And that was actually one of the first sections of interstate highway built in the U.S., right? And so you could go on that actual uh, median. And you could have basically a Hyperloop tube on the top and bottom, and you could be moving goods, you could be moving people along that pretty quickly. And so when you'd want to do that, the tunnels themselves or our tubes are smaller than high-speed rail tunnels. They are, we can climb steeper grades, we can take sharper turns, we can do a lot of things that make it quite a bit cheaper and easier to actually build the the infrastructure the right-of-way. And then we're also taking some steps to automate the actual building of it so that you can actually build it instead of taking five or 10 years, you could build it in maybe two or three years, which allows people to get on it quite a bit faster. And so from a cost point of view, like for example, passengers that would go from Kansas city to St. Louis takes them three and a half hours. Now take them about a whole tank of gas, right? You can do that in 30 minutes in a hyperloop and you can do that for about 30 bucks. So like half a tank of gas. Wow. And so the energy efficiency is really high. You know, it's it's an electric system, so you're able to to do it really quickly. And so the, we want more people to ride Hyperloops, so we have to make sure the price point is is competitive. There was a great comment on Reddit that was talking about that if this project really came to fruition, how it could really have a huge economic impact. And the the crux of the comment was that it allows someone like, for example, you put a Hyperloop in Chattanooga to Atlanta, for example. I wouldn't have to move to Atlanta if I get a job in Atlanta because I can get there in like 20 minutes on on your Hyperloop or any other city center. So it can start building out other suburban and more rural areas, sort of like how trains do just at a much higher speed. So it allows you to go further out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, like this is the part that's really interesting. Like in that Kansas city, St. Louis example, you could get to those two cities now faster than you could get across Manhattan. Right. So this idea of connecting things that used to be, Oh, I'm not going to go to St. Louis or I'm not going to do this. Like all of a sudden that goes away. And you have just this, this tremendous opportunity. And to the economic advantage side, you know, this is the part that's really exciting about transportation is like throughout the history of time from Roman roads, Spanish ships, 
the railroad to the airplane, like every time we've been more connected, there's been this massive amount of economic growth that's followed. And even the internet is a way of, it's a form of connectivity, but we don't have that fast physical connection like we do the, the digital connection that we have for, for this century. You know, Josh, this is really interesting. I, I really love this. We could go yeah. on forever and ever. And the first thing that came to my mind was that that competition for infrastructure money, as you sure. and I were talking about before the show. But now it, it really appears to me that it's not really a competition because you're replacing that money. It's much more efficiently spent is what that argument is, really. You're not competing with it. You're, you're repurposing it in a much better, more efficient way for everybody uh, and cleaning up the environment or, or a better carbon footprint. But something really important that I'd like to talk to you about is all those axes I see behind you. Um, <laughs> what, what, are you a musician here? And what's your favorite axe? And what do yeah. you got back there, man? Uh, my favorite one is one I got about 10 years ago. It is a... Uh, it is a carbon, but uh, so when I'm not busy doing some work here for Hyperloop, which is pretty consuming, this is actually my music studio. So the uh, oh. the process of making music is actually so close to being engineer. It's just different tool sets, right? You have right. this, you know, engineering, you have a physics and math thing. And in, en- in music, you're basically coming in with scales, progressions, types of music and the like. And I actually have something I call studio time, right? with my employees there and studio time is it's a mindset right it's this idea that when you go into a music studio you're there to collaborate to improvise to create something that's better than you walked in with you're not there to to complain or you're not there to you're in this space with other kind of musicians to do something creative to make you know sound from silence in the same way that we create you know hyperloops from nothing we create sound from silence so it's actually been really helpful It's, it's helpful to to use that part of the brain um, to actually make me a better engineer. So it's uh, it's something that's really close and near and dear to my heart. So I love that everything, like every every intake of information that you have to and every output goes through like that engineer filter, even when yeah. talking about, you know, sound from silence. We have a segment on the show we call Play It Forward, and we'll have to have you back in the future to play a song on here for us. We highlight Beautiful. musicians in, uh, in in the industry, and it's um, it's fantastic to see. Before, you, before we let you go, though, we're talking to a very smart man, so we have to spin a very stupid wheel to get a question. Oh, right. yeah, absolutely. We have You've to spin ask a very stupid really wheel. Dumb. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. We'll see what we get. Yeah. I mean, it's up to this thing. All right. All right. Okay, what has been ruined by getting too popular? Ooh, <laughs> what has been ruined by getting too popular? I, uh, I'll actually say I think social media has been that way, right? Yeah. Where uh, it started off as a good idea. You know, you can connect with everybody in the world. And then I think the opportunity that we see now is that physical connection still matters. Knowing who you're talking to as opposed to kind of the faceless and the nameless, I think you want to know the, the person. I don't want to know the you know, the anonymous handle, I want to know the person, I want to know what makes them tick, because then, you know, we can really, we can, we can improvise, we can jam, we can do whatever. And I think uh, that it's easy to be apathetic or, or cynical when you can just throw stones, you know, to do something, to build something is hard. And uh, I think people can see that when they come to like our facility or, or whatever. But I think it's easy to say things are impossible when you're sitting on your couch. <laughs> Wow. Josh, wow. This awesome has been answer. a pleasure. I mean, this has been a great, I wish we had two hours with you because there's so much we could pick your brain on and we'll have to have you back. And we'll have to have you play that song. And when you let journalists ride that thing, you better let us know because we want to jump on that. Um, but it's, a ride. Do- it's transformative. In the meantime, people want to, people want to keep updated with the progress. They want to learn more about the Virgin Hyperloop. Where should we send them to? So we go virginhyperloop.com, or you can check me out on Twitter. I'm actually trying to tweet more so that uh, we get a little bit more awareness that this isn't a fake, fake uh, company. 
But uh, there, LinkedIn, we actually do quite a bit as well. I mean, we're always looking to hire all kinds of people. Um, we have every type of engineer under the sun. Uh, and I think that that gives, gives a big pace there. So check us out online, check us out on, on the Twitter sphere and, you know, just keep, keep an eye out for us because there's always more to come. Well, a little cowbell for you, man. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time today and best of luck with the project. I think it looks awesome. Awesome. Thanks guys. Great talking to you. Thanks, Josh. Wow. Good times. Yeah. We could talk forever about this. We could. It's so exciting. I want to ride the thing. I want to ride it too. I want to find out. Okay. So the first Boom, you're going from zero to like 134 in 2.3 yeah. seconds was not his experience, but it's possible yeah, to yeah. do this, right? So after that initial rush, do you still get the sensation of movement? I think he said it kind of it normalizes. So yeah, you, you right? just you feel just, like you're, you're in a car going like 60 miles an hour instead of like like the TDK, that old TDK ad. Where, yeah, right. But if, if like you're cartoon, in, in yeah. a tube with no visible to the outside, do you even realize? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I think it's like digital screens. Because it's a dark tube. It's a dark tube. So you yeah. got to have some sort of aesthetic and ambience going on yeah, inside yeah, there. Yeah, but I mean... You're not seeing things whiz by, so do you No, have no, that? That, would, that would be disconcerting. Yeah. yeah. Sure would. All right, time, hey. to get into a little, time to get into a little bad news, good news. Uh, bad news and good news. <laughs> I love that. All right, all right, guys. Good news. Used truck market is booming. J.D. Power's benchmark for four-year-old 2018 model sleepers sold in January for an average of $51,179. That's up $4,269, or 9.1% from December. Prices were higher for every model year from 2014 to 2017. Sounds good, especially selling used trucks. Here's the bad news. There's a reason for this. And it's not just volume and freight. It's because there's that chip shortage, that mm. damn chip shortage that's starting to impact a lot of things, not just autos. This chip shortage, right? So as yeah. new truck orders mount, the backlogs, and this reminds me of 2018 when the backlogs were extending into 2020. Yeah. Now yeah. the backlogs here are extending into early to mid-2022 right? because they just can't put the chips within the trucks, the semiconductors. However, here's, here's a, a little aside good news. Anytime there's bad market conditions, people in logistics can sometimes figure things out. This one company, Fleet Advantage of Fort Lauderdale, I love what they did here. Yeah, they figured They're it out. They're a Florida-based provider of data analytics, right, to help fleets achieve lower cost of ownership. They began the sales leaseback program, recognizing this need in the market, and they made, uh, what, 10% of their $445 million, so $44.5 million last year just in coming up with this entire lease program. Yeah, it's very, very cool. I, yeah. I wonder, you're right, necessity breeds innovation yeah right and and there you go go. i mean good good for those guys they made it work i wonder what's going to happen though when those orders come through are they going to be canceled orders because now they figured out how to i I don't know i don't know what it's going to do to the new truck market there it's that's going to be interesting to watch out here's some here's some good news global diesel inventories are back close to the highs reached last spring and summer as covid19 lockdowns persist my friend gas was cheap last year yeah it Mm. was it was very cheap and it was nice but here price is bad news prices are on a seven week long run 17 weeks 17-week-long run of increases, and OPEC has opted not to increase output, my friend. Kind of a shock. It is a shock, a surprise. Uh, The decision to do nothing caught oil markets by surprise. They were shocked by it there, my friend. So West Texas Intermediate Crude rose uh, $2.55 a barrel Thursday, rose by that much. A gain of 2.56% to settle at 6384. Mm. Uh, the lowest settlement of West Texas Intermediate since the pandemic began was 1157 yeah. on April 21st. Uh, so jump. a 550% jump. Yeah. 
it's a big it's a big jump. You've all noticed it too. I mean, it's you, you filled your truck or your jump. car. You, you've you've noticed that it's going up. And you know, some people you know they want to blame Biden. They think yeah. this is new information. But this has been going on for 17 weeks. Yeah, this yeah, started. Not, they yeah. started in November. Now you could say that some people were like predicting Biden would win, and maybe that has something to do with yeah. it. But really, it has more to do with OPEC here and the decision that they're making on what they're doing with output to here. To not increase output. Now they're saying they have enough reserves. They don't want to flood the market again, and they don't want to drive the price down. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, Kingston, uh, John Kingston, who wrote this, I believe, this yeah. article uh, uh, on FreightWaves.com, you can read it, is, is uh, um, he's talking about the fact that, you know, by the third quarter, they got to start saying or giving us some hint of what they're going to do in the third quarter, right? Yeah. So this is, is driving crazy because there's this fine balance. Can they tighten supply too much? And then we got a crisis. Which is they're trying to guess is what he's thinking of where that, you know, buildup is and where let, they need let, to Let start me say that. something to you. So we're looking at the stock market. And I know, don't, yeah. I mean, people are panicking because stocks have only gone up until like these past two weeks when stocks have only gone down. Yeah. But you're looking at that. You're looking at the cost of living going up. You're looking at mortgage rates have just started. They're still low, but like yeah. now it's three and a half percent, if uh, three and a quarter percent if you have really good credit versus like 2.6 percent just a month ago. Right. Gas is up. If you've gotten groceries, you know that is up. You bring a basket up to the freaking counter. It's like sixty five dollars. <laughs> How did this cost sixty five? You know? Yeah. I'm saying? So a little I, bit of inflation I, happening. Starting. I, I'm not saying we're going into a recession, but I can see the conditions that could lead to a recession, especially in an economy driven by so much consumer spending, where you're seeing that stimulus check you put in Robinhood, go down, 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 down. Doesn't make me want to go out and buy. It makes me want to go to Ikea, not Crate and Barrel. Yeah, well, honey, we'll it, go to Crate and Barrel. I just, <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, you know, let's talk about something here. Let's talk about something that we let's teased earlier, bro. This let's is talk about something more positive. This is so good news. You're enjoying nature due to lockdowns in Toronto, Canada. You're avoiding crowds, right? Yeah, you don't it's go awesome, indoors. man. Well, the bad news is, so instead of getting COVID-19, you've got rabies because you were attacked by a raccoon. Right. Oh, there he is. See, look at him with those laser eyes. Toronto Public Is that health. one of them? Right. That's, that's the Canadian raccoon. Well, the right thing there? is, you don't even have to get too close. They say don't pet them, but clearly with eyes like that, you could those, be. Yeah, at least you got to stay yards a long away. way away. You're from socially that. distanced from the raccoons. But I guess the Canadians. You saw Chase. They're very friendly. They're going over and they're trying to pet these raccoons. <laughs> uh, but I guess also there's been a huge explosion in the raccoon population, stemming all the way back to 2002 when they started putting out those organic spins. Yeah. You know, for composting and things like that. Yeah. Well, the raccoons were like. Awesome, because they can flip these Sweet. things. They're not raccoon-proof, yeah. so they got tons of food. So they are becoming the organic munchers of yeah. this, and turning into fertilizer by going to poop. But you got a bunch of Canadians skating around the streets, and they're like, "Hey, buddy!" And they're going to they're going to pet the raccoon, and then the raccoon bites them, and they get rabies. I love your description. Well, isn't that what isn't what that was happening? <laughs> yeah, they, here? It, literally, the Canadians were skating around yeah. the streets, petting They're the raccoons. Curling. <laughs> they were curling <laughs> and, 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 the and tossing. They were using. <laughs> what do you call that thing? What is the curling thing called? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's tying. a rock, isn't it? Isn't yeah. a rock? And don't yeah. they throw the fending, rock? You're isn't fending it? off the raccoon with they the, got with their the brush, brooms, with the broom the brooms. <laughs> <laughs> guys, you care out there. Don't pet the raccoons, okay? They they don't want. They think we're invading because, like, if you think about, it, there's like hundreds of thousands of raccoons, right? Because these organic bins, and they've just but like at night, they're like, we own the night here in Canada, so they're wondering what? why all these Canadians are well, just walking around getting, at night. They think they're getting outflanked, right? So know, they, like, we look at these Canadians, crazy Canadians. They put all, they put all these bins out here yeah. to draw us into the city for food, yeah. and then they're all, all going out to nature trying to steal our homes and trying to outflank us, right? That's like, the problem. They got a war going on. Yeah, like sorry, raccoon. This there is, it is. Not so no wonder they developed. Laser eyes. They they had to develop some type of weapon against. You do. Them. If you get hey, by the way, if you get bit by a raccoon, you got to go get um, a tetanus shot, and you got to you got to get a rabies shot. I think. 
So just be careful out there. By the way, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to blow it off. <laughs> That's our public service <laughs> announcement for you guys. Uh, coming up Monday on the show, Sherman Barnes. He's the head of sales and marketing at Trio Trucking. Looking forward to him. We got Jennifer Kazmaksarek. She's a director of operations for XBO Logistics. Frank Kenny is going to play it forward. He's director of sales and Sweet. enablement at Clio. Remember we saw him with the guitar? Yeah. Just like we saw Josh with the guitar. We saw him with the guitar. We said, you got to come on the show and play it forward with us. He's coming on. We'll try and get Josh on as well. And then we got Jeremy Bowden Hammer. He's the co-founder CEO at Shiphawk, and he's the author of the book, Adapt or Die. Don't miss Monday. If you missed any of this show, look us up. Podcast players everywhere. What the truck? Or look at Freightcast. Get every single Freightways podcast all on one feed. Freightways.com slash WTT. Subscribe to the newsletter. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duno. That is D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Have a glorious weekend. Peace and love. Don't get bit by any raccoons.